Good morning. It is a great day to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. And this morning we are going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 4. We are coming to a fairly familiar passage of the woman at the well. I was talking with Brother Randy this week about the uh, enormity of of that text. Um, and uh, in my study time, I would believe that this week I probably uh, wrestled and pondered and dove in maybe longer and more intense than any time ever. And um, I came away from this text with a really deep uh, sinking feeling that, man, I will never, ever exhaust what it is that the Lord delivers to us in his word. Amen. Amen. Let's pray and then we will dive in. Father, um, we come to you and, and with thankful hearts, I pray that this morning that you have prepared our hearts to hear your word. I pray that you have um, given us a willing and broken spirit that we might hear your word, that we might uh, be empowered by your Holy Spirit to obey it. Uh, Lord, I give you thanks for your son, Jesus. And I pray that at the end of today, that we would understand that you know us and that you love us and that you have made yourself known to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to begin with a poem that was written by Chris Kinsley and Drew Francis. I'm just going to take some excerpts of this poem. And it, it is a poem that uh, demonstrates maybe, possibly, what the thinking was of this woman as she as Jesus reveals himself to her. No drink passing from these hands to your lips could ever be refreshing, only condemning, as I'm sure you condemn me now, but you don't. You take the time to really look at me, for to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. You know me. You actually know me. All of me and everything about me. Every thought inside and hair on top of my head, every hurt stored up, every hope, every dread. From my past to my future, all that I am and all that I could be, you tell me everything. You tell me about me. And that which would be spoken by another would bring hate and condemnation. Coming from you brings love, grace, mercy, hope, and salvation. I've heard of one to come who would save a wretch like me. And here in my presence you say, I am he. To be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. Let me run back to town. This is way too much for just me. There are brothers and sisters and lovers and haters, the good and the bad, the sinners and the saints, who would hear, who should hear what you have told me, who should see what you have showed me, who should taste what you have gave me, who should feel the way that you forgave me. For to be known is to be loved, and to be loved is to be known. And they all need this too. We all do. We need it for our own. 
as we think about the aim of the gospel of John and what John longs to do in this book is that he is, of course, the evangelist. He wants people to just see Jesus, to see that Jesus was indeed God. And he tells us, he gives us this clue in John 20, verse 31. I want to read that again, just so we have that as a perspective to jump off from before we dive into this text from John 31. He says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the aim of this book. As you might remember, as we go back to our first week looking at this, we also hear this from John as he says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the father's side. He has made him known. He being Jesus, he has made him known. And for us, there is no surprise as to Jesus making God known in the flesh as the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. But even yet, I love that Jesus himself knows us. It says, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. That is John 2, 24 and 25. So, to our text this morning, as we think about the unfolding of the whole Gospel of John, there is a revelation of the person of Jesus to us that this is indeed God. That Jesus is God in the flesh. That the word of God became flesh and he dwelt among us. And it progressively, the longer, the more we go through this book, we see more and more of who this person of Jesus is. And as Randy said, as we were taking communion, the, the culmination of this knowledge of Jesus is his sacrificial death for us on the cross and his subsequent resurrection that we might have life in him and that that life that we have in him might be full of joy. Now, I want to say that in our text this morning, uh, I hope that we will see that for this woman, for this woman that he meets at the well, there is a progressive revelation to her. She comes to know Jesus. And as she comes to know Jesus, she gets this overwhelming idea and understanding that I am known of him. Not only does he make himself known to me, but he makes me very aware that I am known of him, that I have always been known of him, and that he is seeking me who might worship him in spirit and in truth. And this morning, as I look out here, I, I would say to you that for sure, I know that this is true. That this morning, Jesus 
is here in the midst of us, looking out upon us and saying, I am seeking among you those who would worship me in spirit and in truth. Notice that that is a fullness of who God is. I want all of you. I don't want a piece. I want everything. And I am everything. And you'll find all of the fullness of God in me, in the person of Jesus Christ. So let's read uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 42 together. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman came from Samaria, uh, from Samaria, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself and did his as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Then Jesus, then, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and, and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. 
Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. As we think about John and he's unfolding this progressive revelation across this text, we, I, I, my heart went right to the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. I want to draw our hearts back a little bit to last week. Just to kind of give us a little context of this, because these are two very different people, very different circumstances. We saw Nicodemus come to Jesus at night. Nicodemus was a Jew, a teacher of Israel. He came to Christ in the dark of night to inquire about who this Jesus was. What might he do to inherit the kingdom of God? Nicodemus would surely seem like a likely one the likely one to be part of the kingdom. Jesus reveals to him, though, that a complete otherness is required. The kingdom comes not by birthright, not through religious piety, but as an act of God. You must be born again, not of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of the will of God. And as we move to chapter 4, we see this, uh, that salvation is an act of God's merciful will. He is the one who is seeking those that would worship him in spirit and in truth. And we come to Samaria to a woman unlikely in our human estimation, unlikely in the religious people's view of who she might be, a woman of the wrong birth, a woman of immoral lifestyle, a woman despised and rejected by the Jews, rejected by her own people, a woman rejected by even her husbands. Yet, she is known of Christ. And he makes himself known to her. All the while, he confirms in her that she is known. And that she is loved. Back to verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees um, had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So Jesus leaves this area to go to Galilee um, as is his intent. And these um, the Pharisees are, are inquiring about, well, why, you know, uh, John the Baptist is baptizing but I'm hearing that this Jesus is baptizing more. And to take nothing away, to take no rivalry, to make sure that there's no rift or division, Jesus moves on in a different area. 
And in verse 3 says, He left Judea and he departed for Galilee and he had to pass through Samaria. As I camp on this, had to. Why did he have to? How does, what does that have to look like? Well, throughout um, the scriptures, we see had to as this word D-E-I, and I cannot pronounce it, but it is mean that it was the will of God to move him there, that it was by God's will he had to. So we look here at Samaria. I want, to, I want us to dive into what Samaria was about a little bit and what the differences between them and, and the Jews were about and why this had to seems uh, very important. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob was, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So even though Israel had much, there was much history of God in this Samaria, this uh, Samarian area, as we could see, right? That um, the well that was given to Jacob, it was given to Israel, was right there in the midst of where they lived. But even though that work of God had been accomplished there, there was much, much disdain for the Samaritan people. It was so great in that area that if one was to be a devout Jew, one who did not want to defile themselves, although this was the direct route to where they were going, they would have purposely went all the way around Samaria. They would have purposed to stay away from these people, to have zero contact with them whatsoever. So, to avoid being defiled, they would go all the way around. And I started thinking about this. Who are the people groups that you and I might avoid contact with? Who is it that we esteem lightly? Who is it that we think that maybe, you know, it's not for them? I won't go to this area. I won't be part of this community. I won't be, I won't make myself available to this type of sinner because I have some personal disdain for them and who they are, for maybe some disdain for how they act or how they behave or that I have put some measure of sinfulness that is okay for me to proclaim the truth to them, but not so much for this other group. They're just on their own. Who might that be? I would say it's good to examine our hearts there. So, in this first revelation of Jesus, a woman from Samaria, verse 7, she came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Can you imagine this? That if you are disdained and despised for your nationality, you're disdained and despised for your lifestyle choices, that here comes this man, a Jew, asking for a drink of water. Would there not be suspicion? Why would he come here? 
Why would you, a Jew, dare come to me? This disdain seems to be mutual and suspicious, doesn't it? Wouldn't, wouldn't the groups that maybe we have avoided as Christians, and we come and say that we want to bless you and we want to serve you in these communities, would they not meet us with the same sort of suspicion and disdain? What is it that you want from me? Why are you here? Because all they would think is that maybe you've come to take. You've come to take from me. Or you've come to condemn me. Why is it that you have come to me? You, a Jew. So now she understands that Jesus, he is indeed a Jew. That is her first understanding of who he is. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He offers her life. He offers her living water. I don't know necessarily that she gets it, but she now esteems him as sir to be respected. He offers her a kindness It appears that her desire for Jesus to give her water is to save her the embarrassment and the disdain of having to sneak around and to be discovered. She says, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here again to draw water. She's thinking, yes, give me this water. Save me the embarrassment. Save me the exposure. Because if I am exposed, people will know who I am. That's why she comes at noon in the heat of the day. She comes at the time when no one else would be there. And I kept thinking about last week's message, thinking about the blankets being torn off of the windows. Right? She doesn't want the blanket torn off. She says to him, she says, sir, give me this water that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That I will not be exposed, embarrassed. I won't have to acknowledge who I really am either. Because I'm disdained. People who know me disdain me and hate me and condemn me. So Jesus says to her, here's exposure. Jesus says, I want to reveal to you that I know you. I'm going to tear the blanket off some. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And I tell him to come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. 
And Jesus reveals his knowledge of her. But notice this, that he has revealed himself to her. There's starting to be a change. I perceive, I perceive that you are a prophet sent from God. I perceive that the words you are speak are from God. So her, she has changed. He's not just a Jew. He's not just a man to be respected. It's possible that he is a prophet sent from God to speak these words of truth about who she is. He's revealing himself to her. Verse 20. Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There's a question of worship. This question of worship caused me to ask questions of me. And maybe questions I think that maybe as a church we ought to ask ourselves. How do I worship in spirit and in truth? I asked that question of myself all week this week. How is it that I am called to worship Him in spirit and in truth? Knowing that God is seeking those who would do so. And if God is seeking those who would do so, I want to be one of those ones that He finds doing it. I want to be one of those that He finds worshiping Him in spirit and in truth. But what about the spirit? Well, as... John Piper says, he asks these questions, but what about the Spirit? Is this our Spirit or is it God's Spirit? Remember Jesus' statement in John 3, 6. It might help us a bit. He says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's not either or, but it's both and. It is our Spirit and it is His Spirit. For those who are new creatures in Christ, our Spirit owes its existence and its vibrancy to the Spirit of God. John Piper writes further, true worship comes only from spirits made alive and sensitive by the quickening of the Spirit of God. God's Spirit ignites and energizes our spirit. Her response to Jesus saying that God is looking for those, the Father is looking for those who would worship Him in spirit and in truth, she says, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He will reveal. And Jesus says, I am he. In that moment, I don't know if she fully got this, that the very object of her worship was right there in the midst of her. That the Word of God was made flesh and He was right there in front of her. Your people say to worship on Mount Gerizim. 
My people say this to worship there. Your people say worship in Jerusalem. Part of this disdain comes from that very fact that they had taken God's word and sort of rewritten it a bit to fit their own selves. And so Jews, religious folks, would say, no, they're not part of it. They've, they've profaned the word of God. They, they profane everything, and these people are despised and despicable. They can't be part of what the kingdom of God is about. And then Jesus, he gives this self-declaration to this, a woman, a Samaritan woman, a woman who is not a Jew, a woman who is quite unlikely, a woman who's despised, abused, and used, but yet she is known of Christ. I couldn't help but think of John 3.17 as we looked at last week. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. That is the declaration that He's saying here. I am He. That you might be saved through me. I am the object of your worship in the flesh, in your presence, right now. I am He. Verse 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that He was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Could this be the Christ? He's a Jew. A disdained Jew. One who she had suspicion of. He's, sir, a man to be respected. He's a prophet sent from God to speak the word of truth to me. Could this be the Christ? He knows me. I am known of him. Could this be the Christ? I must tell everyone. I must tell everyone who he is, who he may be. We notice that the disciples here, they marvel at what he's doing. But they seem to dare not ask. She says, come see this Jesus who knows my heart. Come see this Jesus. Could this be the Christ? Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him and saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered in to their labor. The will of God and the need to. Here in this text, he says, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. My food, my sustenance, my very being comes from doing the will of God. 
what then is this will of God? I, he had to. Remember, at the beginning of this chapter 4, verse 4, he had to go to Samaria. Samaria. Had to. By the will of God, by the will of the Father. It was the will of the Father that he goes there. This appointment that he had with this woman was the will of the Father. It was divinely ordained. It was set ahead of time. This encounter was God foreknew that this woman would be there. He foreknew that these would be those who would worship in spirit and in truth. That he sent this Jesus to proclaim to all that who God is to them. And then we see in verses 23 and 24, but the hour is coming is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's seeking those who would worship him. This is the will of the Father. This is why he had to. Jesus is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. That is the will of the Father to look for those. And then, of course, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. God did not send his son into the world, but to condemn, not to condemn the world, but that through him they might be saved. This is the will of the Father. This is the had to. This is why the encounter happened. And Jesus speaks to them, reaping the harvest of those known to God, those who would worship in spirit and truth, those who simultaneously there's reaping and sowing going on, isn't there? There's Jesus going to reveal himself to this woman, sowing in her the knowledge of Christ, sowing in her to change her from seeing him as just a Jew, just a man to be respected, to now a prophet, a man sent from God to speak forth his truth. Could this be, could this be the Christ? And Jesus says, you are now reaping what others have sown, what has grown up from others watering it, but it is Christ who has made it increased. You are now celebrating the harvest. And I think the reminder in the harvest, it's really really easy for us to celebrate the harvest, right? The harvest is really good because we go out to the field, let's, let's say, and we go to the field and we see that there's plenty of fruit out there and we start pulling the fruit, right? We start gathering the fruit. But it's not long before all the fruit is gathered and some sowing needs to be done. But what if we just wanted to reap all the time? Pretty soon there'd be nothing to harvest, right? Pretty soon we would have reaped what others had labored for, but we've done no labor for a future harvest. I think for us, don't forget to sow now. Don't forget to sow now. Tell the truth about Jesus. Make him known. Make him known. You may not harvest anything in the here and now and in our life. We may not know Ever that those that we proclaim the truth to have come to Christ, but tell them about him anyway. And somebody else may come along and water that. And still yet somebody else who labored not at all may come and reap that harvest. They may do that. Now, verse 39 Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. 
So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They got him, she got her countrymen to Jesus. She got them to Jesus, and he, like he did to her, revealed himself to them. And notice this. They said to the woman, verse 42, they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. He went from Jew to Sir to Prophet to could this be the Christ to He is indeed the Savior of the world. Since we are known of God through the revelation of Christ who bore our sin on the cross, He has quickened our spirit and made us alive. The time is now to worship Him. Time is now to worship Him in spirit and in truth. To worship Him with heart and head, with emotion and intellect with spirited enthusiasm, grounded in sound doctrine. To worship Him according to His Word, with a reborn nature and spirit. To worship Him with all of our life. To worship Him in our work with joy. To worship Him in our schools by reflecting His truth in our spirit. To live sacrificially with our spouses, knowing that our life belongs to Him who saved us. To speak the truth and love to one another in our church family. What if these things marked our church? What if these things marked our schools and our marriages and our homes? Wouldn't it be great if our true worship was effective in winning people to Christ? In making Him known? What if our life said, I am known of God. I am known of God. And our true worship of Him then reveals Him to others. What if they looked upon us, looked upon this little body of believers here in Carleton, Oregon, and they said, those are those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those people are known of God. And their desire, their nourishment, their food comes from doing the will of God. And that is to make him known. What if that was us this morning? What if that was us this week? What if that was the whole aim of the church? If we walk away with nothing today, what if we walk away with this and say, I am going to make him known. I am known of Christ and I am going to make him known. I'm going to make him known at home. I'm going to make him known at work. I'm going to make him known at school. I'm going to make him known wherever I go. Whether or not they receive it or not, I'm going to reveal him. Whether or not I see the harvest of that, I'm going to reveal him today. I'm going to sow it. I'm just going to sow it. I'm going to spread the seed. I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit for the increase. I'm going to trust that God in His sovereignty is bringing others along to water. But I'm just going to sow the knowledge of Christ that He knows me, that He wants to be known, 
that he wants you to know him, that he wants the world to know him, and that through him that they might be saved just as we were. Let's bow our hearts and our heads and just reflect a bit on the word this morning in silence and just um, allow the Holy Spirit to, to teach us to remove that which was from me and all that is from him. May we glean that this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. I thank you that um, as we opened uh, our service this morning, we said that God wants us right where we are. Yes, he does. But I praise him that he doesn't want to leave us there. That he want, doesn't want to leave us right where we are. He wants us to take us to somewhere better. He wants us to see Him more, to love Him more. He wants us to make Him known in the world and that He uses broken and messed up people like you and me to do so. I give Him praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.